Matthew chapter 6, we'll continue studying on the Sermon on the Mount. We're in chapter 6, and chapter 6 begins with, you're not to do your alms before men, and that seems to be the subject of the next three things, alms, prayer, and tonight, fasting. The word alms in most of the commentaries is the word righteousness, and it's simple. Jesus is saying, the things you should do that are right things to do, your right acts, your righteous deeds, the things that the, you're compelled to do and urged to do by the Lord, don't do it for favors and don't do it for acclaim. Uh, do it as unto the Lord, because God knows your heart. And when you do things from your heart in secret, with, you know, you can't always pray in secret. You can't always give in secret. You can't always fast and not somebody know it. But in your heart, you do the things that are right, the good things that God would have a Christian to do living in his kingdom. You do it as unto the Lord. And if nobody ever knows how deeply spiritual you are, God does. He's the one who alone can reward you. Now, last week we finished up on prayer. We were talking about the Lord's Prayer. I'd like to go back again to the end of that prayer, verse 13, where he ends the Lord's Prayer and makes quite a deal out of forgiveness. And this is a subject which every Christian should be keenly aware of, of how important us forgiving each other is. I'm becoming more and more aware of how much of the New Testament is me and you, us. Your relationship to God is no better than your relationship to others. I mean, you can't love God if you can't love your fellow man. If you don't love people that have a need, if you don't care about others' needs, then the love of God isn't in you. And, and forgive others as God forgave you, he says. So much is based on how we relate to each other. And uh, if you won't forgive your fellow man, God doesn't forgive you. And there's something, there's a sense of obligation that every Christian has to his fellow man. And one luxury that none of us have and we're not allowed to do is to have unforgiveness, resentment, or ought against our fellow man. We show that we do, but every time we gossip and every time we share a tale that is harmful to somebody's name or reputation, every time you do that, you're showing that you're kind of glad to pass this thing on. You wouldn't want somebody to do that to you. That's Matthew seven twelve. do unto others. But you do it to other people because you kind of hope it works. You hope that person gets what they deserve and stuff like that. It's a form of unforgiveness. Some people have root of bitterness in them because of the damage that was done to them at some time in their past with somebody, they were sued at law, a drunk driver, uh, a divorce or something happened, and, and they just just have this ball of bitterness inside of them. And they don't realize it. Listen to this. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Then down to verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. It's conditional. But... If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We don't talk about this much, but amongst us, especially when we are meditating on this and we think about that, we don't really want that to be like that because that's pretty narrow. 
If you want to have a relationship with God and be forgiven, you must also forgive others. He didn't say what Jesus said in Matthew 18. He said, how many times shall we forgive? Seven? And he said, till seven times seven. Remember then he gave the story in Matthew 18 about a man that owed him a lot of money, couldn't pay it, and he forgave him because he asked him to, and that same man would not forgive his fellow man a little bit, and therefore he treated him harshly. And when the word got back to the uh, original man in the story who was, was owed the most at the beginning, and his fellow man who was forgiven much wouldn't forgive others, it said this about him. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him unto the tormentors. I thought that was who he was delivered from. And it says here, Jesus speaking, And the Lord was wroth or angry and delivered him unto the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. And then he said these words. These are solemn words here at the end of Matthew 18. He said, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your heart... Forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Now somebody will look at me and say, Now are you saying, and I'm just saying, I read it. But, uh, but do, 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 are you, uh, no, I read the verse. And it says what it says. And I'm not going to change it, and you can't either. It simply says that we are obligated in the fact that we've been called to walk with the Lord and be disciples and so forth. We're obligated to treat our fellow man even as God has treated us in the matter of sins and trespasses. We must forgive. And if we will not forgive, we are not forgiven. So that that pretty well makes you search your heart, and, and I hope it does. It would me, and it does me. I, I can't think of a soul in my life. I even forgave my college basketball coach. I mean, that was a big one. <laughs> and you laugh, but I, that, I did have to forgive him. I mean, I really did. And it was easy when I saw him after I'd gotten grown and I came back and saw him one time and met him and all of that. I felt sorry for him because I knew he was lost. And it's easy to forgive when you know that, that you don't want to put yourself in a place where your unforgiveness, your unforgiveness is going to keep you from being with the Lord and you'll spend eternity with people who wouldn't forgive. It was easy for me to say, Lord, he didn't know what he was doing. Isn't that what Jesus said on the cross? Father, forgive the people that are killing me for the people that hate me and are spitting in my face and plucking out my beard and slapping me and beating me. Forgive them. They don't know who I am. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, when he was being stoned, remember what he said? He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. So there's something about us being humble and meek with respect to being forgiving <clears throat> And not holding grudges. And if we do, what did he say in Mark eleven twenty four? The same thing he said in the Sermon on the Mount. And when you stand praying, forgive. Or if you will not forgive others, and so on and so forth. So I want to make that point because that should go with us all through our lives. And we should be aware of that, that there's many times you're going to mess up. And God is gracious and merciful to forgive us. But James, you know, in the book of James, he says, For he shall have judgment without mercy that showeth no mercy. And so we're obligated. We're given this to live by. This is the way we live, and this is the way we should be with each other. We'll have a lot more to hear about that next year. Amen. Now, let's go to fasting, the subject of fasting, which is not a well-known subject, Matthew 6 and verse 16 through 18. 
It's very simple what he says. We've already said it. And instead of talking about almsgiving or prayer, he simply here is talking about fasting. Now, let me ask the question tonight. What is fasting? It's obviously not a very common subject discussed amongst us. It's obviously not a thing that's preached about a lot. And it, quite frankly, it's not a subject that very, not a thing that very many people do. But when he said in verse 16, moreover, when you fast, he did not say moreover, if you fast. So it is understood by the Lord in, in his discourse here in talking to us that fasting is, is, is the same as giving alms or prayer. It's something you do. It's right to do. And there's a reason that you would do it. Fasting is not dieting. It's not you don't fast to lose weight. But fasting is something that is spiritual and it has to do with your relationship to God concerning someone, yourself, or something else. It's something that, that you do in your labor before the Lord for a reason. Now let's look at a couple of other things before we go into that. Why do we fast? Why do we fast? Well, one reason we fast would be for a national crisis or a time of extreme difficulty or uncertainty or a time that something bad could happen or a time that this could be it. And you really need to stay before the Lord and not be interrupted with food and eating because that's what fasting is. It's abstaining from food for spiritual reasons. You don't eat because there's a greater need for you than eating, and that is to be uninterrupted in your time before the Lord. Now, there are other ways that people fast, but I'm just, I'm going to say what he says here, and we'll get to the other things in a minute. Turn to Esther. If you can find it, if you find the Psalms, go backward a couple books. You'll run into her. She's, she's back there. And Esther, chapter 4. And if you're familiar with this story, I was in my breakfast thing the other morning. I just happened to open up the Bible, and it turned to Esther, and so I read it, and once again, it's a beautiful story. It's like a story. You like reading, or you like to read a book. You like to read a story. It's a good one to read, for this is the closest time in all of history that the Jewish people were nearly wiped off the face of the earth. This was as close as it's ever been since the creation of the world for the Jewish people to be annihilated from this earth. That all they could find. For I'm not going through the whole book, but but the Jewish people had had a decree by the king issued in his kingdoms, in his domain, that on a certain day you were free to kill all the Jews and take their property. And this was a decree of the king, and so everybody in these kingdoms got ready to do that. And you remember the story, hopefully, that Esther, who was Jewish, and uh, and her uncle uh, Mordecai, he informed her of what was going on and how it happened through wicked Haman. And he said, Esther, this is really bad. We're all going to die. And, and you're a Jew yourself. And so you're part of what has been, I mean, they can kill you. And she said something like, well, I, you know, I, what can I do? Now, that's not the word she used. But he told her, he said, you're going to have to go into the king and do something about this and make a request. And if he grants it to you, then we want him to give us the freedom to defend ourselves from everybody who tries to kill us. And in Esther chapter 4 and verse 16, 
Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, Esther says, and neither eat nor drink three days, day or night. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so I will go unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Those famous words, if I perish, I perish. So it says here that before Esther went in and approached the king, uh, something that she could die doing this because it wasn't according to their way of doing things. She fasted for three days. Now, the purpose of fasting here was to be genuinely tuned in to the Lord, to have the mind of God, to be keenly aware of what His will was, what all to say, how to say it, what I should do, how I should conduct my affairs, what decisions should I make, what choice is the right choice here. I don't know, Lord. I am standing before you. I really need to know. And as you know, the, uh, the story ends with the Feast of Purim, when the Jews not only defended them themselves, but uh, they were blessed in the spoil that they got from the people who tried to take their lives. And the Feast of Purim was, is still in effect today. You'll find that in chapter 9 of Esther. Another time is in turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Go back a little bit from Esther and you'll find Second Chronicles chapter 20, the story of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, who was a man who had done so well, he was doing well. He was blessed in his kingdom. He wanted his people to be taught for the reason that when he himself started reading Scripture, he saw how God blessed David. And whatever King David did, though he did a lot of things that were not good, uh, God blessed David because his heart before God was right. And the Bible said Jehoshaphat followed the first ways of his father David. And as a result of that, God blessed him immensely. He wasn't trying to get blessed. He wasn't taxing people. He wasn't defeating nations and getting spoils. He just simply ordered all of his teachers to go throughout all of his kingdom there in Judah and Benjamin and to teach the people. Just teach them. Show them what God has shown me. Let them see what I've seen. Let them understand what I understand. And so the same blessing that came to me can come to them. And so these people were blessed over much. And they were blessed going in and going out. And then Jehoshaphat helped another king he should not have in chapter 19. And he was rebuked for that, which I believed opened the door in chapter 20 to this story. That Jehoshaphat had three nations come up against him from the south. And they were intent on destroying him as people have tried to destroy Jewish people since Jewish people were put on this earth. And when they began to come up through there, Jehoshaphat knew he, he couldn't fight against an army the size of that. He didn't know what to do, but he had a promise from God in Second Chronicles 6 when Solomon prayed. And, and so he simply quoted Solomon, and God gave him the victory. But here's what he did in, before all of that. Chapter 20 and verse 2. Then there came some that said, that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side, Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Enjedi, which is south, down by the Salt Sea. And Jehoshaphat feared, and notice what he did. The first thing he did, he feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed what? 
He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Why would he do that? Because this is not a time for life as usual. This is not a time for the ordinary courses of your daily life to continue uninterrupted. This is a spiritual matter. Our lives are in danger. Our nation is under, is under attack. We need to hear from God in order to survive. And we don't need to be eaten right now. This is a time to set ourselves to seek the Lord. And as they did, a man prophesied and told him what to do. And it worked. Go over to the other side, past uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah and all that, to the book of Joel. You'll find in Joel chapter, chapter 1 and 2, the times of restoration of Israel. They had gone away and gone bad. In Joel chapter 1 and verse 14, Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly together. Gather the inhabitants of Israel and all the house of the Lord your God together and cry unto the Lord. Isn't it interesting? God says, get them all together. No more than everyday routines. I want you to, to declare a fast. Not only do you declare a fast, in one place in the Bible, they declared a fast, even included nursing babies. I mean, nobody eats. We have got to hear from God. We are trying by this. We are, we are wanting you to know how sincerely we want to hear from you. And so they, they set a fast. They set themselves to fast. And in chapter 2, it says, verse 12, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. Why would you want to do all that? Because the reason you are under the duress that you are under, the reason your life is a constant, continuous struggle, is because of sin. That's what this book is telling them. You have disobeyed God, and the favor of God is not with you. That is, God's grace is not flowing into your lives and daily blessing you and protecting, keeping, and guiding you. It's because of the choices you have made. They've been all the wrong choices. I told you the right ones. You didn't do it. And what you're going through, you're not going to get delivered out of. But here's what you do. Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting, with weeping and mourning. You should weep and mourn. James speaks to that. All the fighting and arguing with each other in James chapter 2. He said, you know, you all bite and devour and everything. And you do this, you do that. Nothing's working for you. You all should turn to the Lord. It's called sometimes afflicting the soul. And the afflicting of the soul means that, the, you know, the soul is the seat of your emotions. It's your intellect. It's who you are. It's what you express to the world. And your soul, your, your mind, your senses want to control you. Oh, you've got to eat. If you don't eat, you're going to get a case of some medical ignorance, and, and if you don't do this, you'll die as though God can't sustain you. Oh, I have to eat. A Baptist preacher many years ago, and I don't mean Baptist. I get rebuked for this once a year, but I don't mean that as an inferior group. It just happened, and he didn't mean it to be, but he just happened to be a Baptist preacher. He could have been a Catholic priest, I suppose. He could have been a Methodist or he could have been a charismatic. I hadn't been saved too, too long. 
This fellow had been in the, uh, the ministry for years, a wonderful preacher. He was very dramatic and good as a preacher. And uh, he liked to talk about the gospel. And he was interesting to, to talk to, especially in those early days. The subject of fasting came up once. We were new in the Lord, all of us were then. And, you know, when you're new in the Lord, any new subject that comes up, you want to devour it. What does that mean? What, I've never done that. What, what, what do you do? Oh, I couldn't do it. How could that be? I remember him telling me, well, you know, I think I'd said something about, well, we had fasted a couple of days to, to get the mind of God about something. I remember him saying this. He said, well, you know, I've I, I never fasted. I don't, I don't think I could. I don't think my body would let me do that. And I said, I think I'd grab my body by the back of the neck and tell her I'll put it in a cold shower if you don't fast. I thought that was interesting. Here's a man that had been in the gospel all of his life, 50 years maybe, at least maybe 45, 40 then, I don't know, and never fasted. He had given alms, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he had prayed, but he had never fasted because he had convinced himself that one of the things that Christians do, he couldn't do. And if he didn't think he could do that or that didn't seem to work in his life, then he didn't have to. A lot of people are like that. They establish doctrine by how they feel about things. And yet fasting, I'll tell you this, fasting is not fun. I don't say, oh, boy, I don't get to eat anymore for a while. Or, I'm, oh, wow. You know, if you've never fasted in your life, the first day would probably be a huge struggle because you can smell hamburgers from three blocks away from McDonald's. I mean, and anything cooking or food, you, magazines are full of food. Everything you look at is food. There's signs on the road are food. And uh, after a while, you get past that. You really do get past that. And you get into a different, I can't explain this to you. I can only tell you what happens. You get into a kind of a state in which you are more sensitive to the Lord. You are more capable of finding out what you, what you need to know. Jesus said in Matthew 17, I think it was, he said about demons, casting out demons. They said, why couldn't we cast this demon out? Remember, Jesus said, this kind goeth not out except by prayer and fasting. That there's some things in your life that are going to come into your life that you're going to have to put a halt to whatever you're doing and get a hold of God. I'm sure you've had phone calls before that you need to pray, and you didn't really even care to eat them because somebody needed you. And food wasn't the issue at the time. It's a spiritual need. And you commit yourself to that need and deny yourself food. People have systems of fasting, which I don't endorse, but, you know, when you do eat, your body wants to digest, and you get that, you know, where's the couch at? But I find that when you, when you fast, that doesn't happen so much. There are lots of books on fasting, and some of them are techniques. I don't, I don't like that. Some of them, how to come off of a fast, you eat carrot soup and, and broccoli or something. I don't know. I, they don't say that, I, I don't think. A lot of people talk about things like that. But fasting is, uh, in a sense, it enhances your ability to hear from God. Remember what the people did at Nineveh when Jonah announced to them about the judgment that was coming? It said in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. They didn't know what to do about it. We've heard what's the truth. And the leader said, I don't know what to do about this. So you fast. You just put yourself in a place before God 
where you deny yourself food in order to hear from God. I don't know that it means you can't go through a daily routine of changing your baby's diaper and all. It doesn't mean that. It just means that there is a higher purpose in why you're not eating than just whatever. And if you have to work, I'm sure you could work. And if you can take time off, that would be good. But fasting is for that reason. It, in this case, it's for difficult times or times of national stress or something of that sort. Another reason that people fasted in the Bible was for guidance, to know what to do. We don't know what to do. In Acts chapter 13, if, if you'll turn over there, Acts chapter 13 is in the early church. And they had some decisions to make about all these new churches were springing up and all these new people were getting saved and, you know... When you get 3,000 saved in one, in one day, isn't this true? Somebody should be there to help them find out what to do first, how to get started and what somebody needs to teach them. Somebody needs to oversee them. That's why God raised up men to oversee because people don't know how to go and God raises up people who can teach them how to go out and how to, and how to come in to direct their traffic, to correct them when they're wrong, and whatever they have to do. That's why God set up leadership in the church. Now, verse chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of the Cyrene, and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord... And fasted. Do you see that? A part of their ministering to the Lord included fasting because what they were after and what they wanted here was to know what God would have them do. And he said this, And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. You notice that God did not speak and give them direction until first they together fasted. They got together and they prayed, probably as you would, hey God, we are here, we don't know what to do. There's many ways you speak to man, and would you show us what to do? Now, the Bible said the Holy Ghost spoke. Now, that would have to be by one of the gifts of the Spirit. I would think that would either be a prophetic utterance, and they believed it. Somebody inspired said, thus saith the Lord, or... The Lord says, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas, or it could have been tongues and an interpretation. Something revelatory, something God revealed that they hadn't known before. Or somebody might have been praying and, and had the mind of the Lord and spoke out. But it does say the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas. Wouldn't it be nice to know that where you are, the Lord God specifically called you out and sent you? Well, wherever you are, you're, you have the blessing of God with you. Because you weren't, you weren't where you are some, by some light meeting in a church somewhere. God specifically chose you. And He sent you out to do the work that He would have you to do. Look in chapter 14, the next chapter. 14 and verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. The churches, they didn't have buildings like this. Churches then were individual bodies 
of believers. Each group was a body of Christ because the body of Christ is a local term. It's not really a universal term. It's a local term in the, in the New Testament. And each local assembly was a body of Christ. Now, there were believers. They met in homes because there wasn't a room big enough to put them all in. When the whole church came together, it was usually outside of the city at, in some field or some place where they could all meet together. But in order for the right man to lead these people and somebody just not take it upon themselves to do it, they prayed. And as they prayed, God showed them who should be elders or leaders or overseers or bishops or pastors or shepherds over these people. And these were, this is the way God raised up these men in the early church. It was for guidance. In Ezra, a similar thing happened. They, they needed to know what to do in chapter 8, and the Bible says they fasted. Along with praying and, and seeking after God, they fasted. Now, I don't know if you've ever fasted before. I don't know if it's ever been in your program as a Christian. But it was a common thing in the New Testament. It was very common in the Bible. And I remember years ago when the first time we heard this, it became a common topic amongst us, and we began fasting. We didn't know how to do it so much, but we in our little church there, we began fasting. And we would it. you know, one day we would fast and pray for a whole day and come back to that evening, and then we would pray and then go to somebody's house and eat bologna and potato chips, but whatever. But we would fast. Uh, we would fast not so much because there was a crisis or we needed specific guidance, we fasted because it was in the Scriptures. It seemed to be the right thing to do. That we as Christians ought to have a fasting heart. We should be praying people. You know that. The family that prays together stays together. The back of you know, the bumper sticker says. You know, the family that fasts together starts. No, it doesn't say. <laughs> but we should, we should be praying and fasting people. We should be givers of alms. We should help the poor. And so we saw it that way. I remember this. We saw it that way, so we began fasting, and we would share notes and laugh about what we went through. And some of it was quite funny because, you know, God is gentle with people that are too ignorant for their good. But uh, He was good to us, and, and we learned a lot of right things. And many books on fasting in those days, and people would speak on it. I remember we went to a camp in Georgia, Tennessee, Georgia Christian camp. That was the biggest event of the whole year. That was the mecca of meetings in my growing up years, the Tennessee-Georgia camp. When we get to this camp, everybody, when you give you a little packet of information, you had a number on your little packet. There was, what, 1,200 people there? They gave you a number. Well, each number was the prayer group you would be in before breakfast. And they would assign around the camp, there might be 20 or 30 little prayer meeting places where your number, your group would go. Now, I remember in one year down there, there was a lady, I didn't know, I didn't know anybody there, but this lady was sort of frail looking, looked really different to me, almost too different. And, you know, when she would say something, she'd just kind of say, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, man, oh man, this is a real spiritual lady or uh, there's a real problem here. But I didn't know anything about dealing with that. We were learning how to cast out demons too, but we, we tried to cast demons out of pine knots. We, you know, we tried it all. 
Well, I was learning something here, and one day somebody in the group, about the third or fourth day we met together, somebody noticed that she was so sort of frail. And we had a different prayer leader each each day. They went to different prayer groups. So one day somebody said to her, Ma'am, are you all right? Are you feeling all right? You want us to pray for you? And she said, uh, No, I'm... I'm fasting. I'm on my 30-something day of a 40-day fast. And, and I remember going, wow, 40 days. Man, 40 days. That's a month and 10 more. But then I remembered this because we had been doing some, some study. I thought, you know, that's not the way you're supposed to do this. It's good that you have a heart to fast. I pray that you're doing it for a reason and not just because you want to say, I fasted 40 days because that was of no value. You don't just fast in order to say, I fast, I fast. Uh Isn't that what the Pharisees said? I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men. I give alms of all that I have. I fast. Notice me. Look where I am. I'm a step above everybody. Whoa. That's not the reason you fast. You don't fast as a routine as far as just doing it for no reason. I mean, Bonnie and I, since... Years ago, we had a meeting over Cedarmore. We talked about, our church talked about fasting then. And she and I determined that we'd fast one day a week from breakfast until dinner that evening. And we do, still have. Now, there's been days I would come home and I was convinced I had to have a cracker with peanut butter on it before church. And so it's not like every day was just a pure and holy fast. It was just, I want to keep myself in tune with, with the righteous ways of God and especially on days I study and prepare, that maybe this day when some special things you haven't thought of before will come to you as you study, and, and or perhaps there'll be a good spirit in the room tonight when you go out there and preach, and you won't just, again, fall flat on your face, see? So you kind of maybe praying that the Lord will, this day will help you a little bit do that. This lady, though, when she had that thing, I thought, you know, I admire you for your ability to just not eat. But I don't think what you're doing is what God meant. Because there's a reason we fast. I mean, we fast. It may be a personal reason. Like, again, I just want to, I just want to keep doing the right thing. And when one of these days I have to do it for an extended period of time, I know how to do this. And I won't labor and wish I had a hamburger or a piece of meat or something. You just do it because, you know, God is training you. And teaching you how to do things. There was a lady in our church in Charlestown, and her name was Mary Dean. And uh, Mary Dean was a, really a kind and, and thoughtful, caring person. I noticed one time in our growing up years there, spiritual growing up, Mary Dean was looking paler and thinner. You know, she wasn't so big to begin with, but she was getting tiny. I mean, as they say, you know, you, she turned sideways and stick her tongue out. She looked like a zipper. You know, she wasn't big at all. And But I noticed her dress kept, you know, just sort of hanging limp. And, and so we got to talking in our baloney sessions. You know, I wonder, is Mary Dean all right? And every now and she'd come. She'd just sit around and had a glow and smile. You, know, and, and she just, you can't help but notice that not eating, generally, you lose weight. That's not why you fast. She was going on a 40-day fast. For some, for something, as she told us later on, she wouldn't go into it much. She kept it, said, it's sort of between me and the Lord, which praise the Lord. 
But uh, she lost a lot of weight. We, I, I thought she was sick and dying. I thought, we, we're going to have to pray for this woman. But she was healthy. She was fine. God wouldn't have you do something that's going to destroy your body. Now, you might be convinced you can't do without food, and you will need to have food. But it's such a thing as just trusting God and, and learning to do things His way, and then your life turns around. So, you know, when somebody's fasting, it's not like you can't hide it. If I fast, my metabolism is, is a little aggressive. I could lose 15 pounds in one week without a lot of trouble. It probably wouldn't hurt me to. But when you fast a long time, I think I went three days one time and, and lost the 8 or 10 pounds. But uh, I wasn't trying to lose weight. I was just trying to get before the Lord. We had a situation in church. We need to know what to do. And we had learned that we could do it this way. It's what fasting is. I think God wants us to know things like this. That not only can you pray and cry out unto the Lord, but do it without the interruption of your body digesting food. Just do it as a, a denial of all your whatever so you can hear from God. Good men do this. Look in Cornelius chapter 10. Acts 10. You know where it is. Cornelius chapter 10. Back a couple of pages there. When this vision that came to Peter about Cornelius... And it tells us in uh, verse 1 and 2 the kind of man he was. It's interesting, too, that God seems to have amongst his most spiritual men those who fast. And in verse 1 he said, There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. For, you know, a fellow that wasn't a Jew, he was doing pretty good, wasn't he? This is the man that God chose to pour his spirit out on and the Gentile. He was the first Gentile home to receive the Holy Spirit. And it said this about him before God poured out his spirit upon them in verse 30. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. Do you suppose fasting had anything to do with it? I'm not saying it did, or you must fast, but from putting a lot of scriptures together, it does seem that it was a part of his answer. He prayed and he fasted, and God acknowledged this as he will with us. He said, Thy prayer is heard, and thy alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. And then God poured out his Spirit on that house later on in that story. See, fasting, again, fasting is not some unique thing that rarely occurs. This should be something that's a part of your life, it's part of my life. We don't do it so everybody will know we're doing it. As again, sometimes if it's for quite a while, people will know it. I mean, they will know something's going on. But fasting is what you do. I would imagine everybody in this room, in your daily walk with the Lord, in the course of one year, you encounter obstacles. I mean, something that you have to deal with. Maybe it's in your family, your home, your business, work, money or your spiritual life, you're at a crossroads, 
or maybe you're a preacher or a pastor and you've got things to deal with and you're not sure how to deal with this, but you got to. And it becomes like a, a something out there that your heart says, God, what do I do? As the head of my house, if it's a home thing, as the a, as a head of my house, what, what should I do here with this child, this bill or this problem or my job is about to be terminated or what what's going on? You know, a lot of things happen. And God is always open for business. He is always there. And he's always said, you come boldly to the throne of grace. And there's times, especially serious times in your life or important times in your life, that you go before him fasting. I'll be there after supper. And no, this is more important than supper. This is more important than breakfast, more important than dinner. In fact, I'm going to stay here until I hear from you. I'm going to stay before the Lord until He speaks to me. Speaks in a way that I have direction. I don't have to have an audible voice or somebody appear in my room. Whew, what would you do with that? But you just know that you have guidance and wisdom from the Lord. And I think fasting adds that dimension to prayer. It enables you to stay longer, hear a little more keenly, and, and know a little more certain and sure, and probably which enhances your faith, makes you absolutely sure about the direction that God has for you and what He wants you to do. Jesus said we would fast. Matthew chapter 9, the disciples <clears throat> said to Jesus, said, why, you know, the disciples of John said, why is it that the, uh, we fast often and your disciples don't fast? They don't fast. Remember what Jesus said? He said, as long as I'm with them, they don't need to. Did Jesus handle all the problems? Say yes. And they were following the real deal. I mean, he asked them all to leave whatever they were doing, whatever their livelihood was. He said, quit it and follow me, didn't he? He must have taken care of them. One of the guys with him had a bag, had the money in it. Where'd he get the money? I don't know. But it was supporting all of them. They, all, they had families. Peter did. I'm sure he did. He had, a, he had a wife. I assume he had a family. Jesus said, follow me. So they, he followed them and... Uh, if the devil came along, Jesus dealt with it. If it was blind, crippled, lame, he just dealt with it. They watched. They got to learn and watch the master work. He sent them out, remember, two by two, and said, what you see me do, you go do it. They did that. He said, when I'm here, there won't be any reason for them to fast. But he said, but when I'm gone, my disciples will fast. And he's talking to them, and he's talking to us. We will. And I would encourage you, if you've never had a routine of fasting or never fasted, pray that the Lord will give you something to fast about. It might just be a job about what direction your life should take. Maybe, possibly, who you should marry. I would to God. A whole lot more would knew what fasting and prayer was when it came to that. They wouldn't rush into this stuff lightly or frivolously but would make a big deal out of the biggest, the second biggest decision I'll ever make in my life is who I'm going to marry. Because when I hook up, I am forever hooked up. 
I don't want to miss it here. And I would encourage you, if you're going to get married someday, if the, the most beautiful woman that has ever created walks into your life and says, oh, you need to pray and make sure that this should be your wife. Or if he is so handsome that birds quit singing when he walks up the street. You really ought to pray about that too. Could I tell you this? You don't want to make a mistake here. You don't want to miss it here. Young people, don't ever marry. Don't marry. I can't get a rise. I can't get any noise out of anybody tonight. Anyway, it's worth praying about. Whatever we do as a church that we have to pray about is worth praying with fasting. I don't mean we have to fast for three or four days. Sometimes if we're going to meet tonight, we're going to fast all day today. I think that Monday night group does that. They don't, they don't eat during the day. They only eat after their meeting on Monday nights. Just so we have a keener attitude, sensitivity, perhaps response to God. In this way, Lord, I want you to know that we really want you to minister to us and we want to be able to minister to you the right way. I think fasting brings things like that to surface. But if you think you can just fast and, well, I'm going to do three days this week, and you say, well, what are you doing it for? Well, because we ought to. Well, you might be doing it for the wrong reason. But fasting is important, but it brings power and blessing. Turn to Isaiah 58. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. To these people that were not doing well at all, about to be judged, but were convicted and they felt like they were doing really good. Listen to this. What a contrast. Verse 1, cry aloud, spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. What does that mean? I know you know what that means. I'm just preaching right now. If God told a minister or a prophet or a minister to do that, he said, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions and tell them of their sins. Does that mean that the people need that? That perhaps it takes that kind of intensity to awaken them? Because the problem in verse 2 with the people he said cry aloud to was this. He said, yet they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. They have all these things that they're noted for. This is the super church, the end time real deal church. This is prime time religion right here. And yet God said, cry aloud and spare not. They're not going to like your message. They won't like you for telling them the truth about the true nature of their lives and the artificiality of their worship and their Christian ways. You tell them anyway. You spare not. When they say, oh, stop it, don't you spare. Not. Didn't he say that? So verse 3, why have you fasted? Why have we fasted, they say, and you see not. Lord, you're not, you're not paying attention. Why have we afflicted our soul, and you take no knowledge? I think God would say, behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. You play golf, 
you watch this, you go there, and you do that, and you exact all your labors, and you don't do fasting like that. He said, Behold, you fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Even when you fast, you argue and fuss with each other. Why are you fasting? While you are before the Lord to seek His way, you're in each other's faces. That is not good. Is this the kind of fast, verse 5, that I've chosen? Is it not a day for a man to afflict his soul and to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? What you're doing, would you call that a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen? Notice this, and could we use some of this to loose the bands of wickedness? Fasting brings you into a place where you are keen on doing that. Opens you up to the power that, it, that, like he said, some things don't go out without prayer and fasting. So he said, this is not the fast I've chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness and to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Is it not to deal your bread to the hungry? Here we go back to personal things again. And that you bring in the poor that are cast out of thy house. When you see the naked, that you cover him and that you hide not thyself from his own flesh. The kind of fast that God chooses when you do it God's way for the right purpose. Notice the next verse, verse 8. I'll leave this with you all tonight. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. Light and thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rear reward or behind you. He'll cover your back. Then shall you call, and the Lord shall answer. Then thou shalt cry and shall say, Here I, and he shall say, Here I am. If and it goes personal again with each other. Here's another one of those me and you things. If you take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking useless, vain things. Wow. In verse 11, And the Lord shall guide you continually. Do you want this in your personal life? Do you want this kind of grace to follow you? Well, it's, it's a function and a part of something that includes fasting and having yourself right with other people and being able to be used of God to minister to people's needs, the poor and, and, and the hurting and the, so forth. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and shall and satisfy thy soul in drought. We could use a whole lot of that. Amen. Right here in our little church. Amen. There's enough of all of us talking about how dry things are, including myself. It doesn't have to be dry. We don't have to be in a dry and thirsty land, a land where there's no water. We do not have to be as the deer that panteth for the water brooks where there's no water. There should be water. It should be with us that out of our innermost being shall flow Rivers of living water. We should never be in a drought. There may be a drought around, but not you. He said, And the Lord shall satisfy your soul in drought and make fat thy bones. That's just a way of being abundant. You don't, don't worry about that. And thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. 
And they that be of these shall build up the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. I'm sure Shelbyville Christian Assembly could use a good dose of the restoration of the way of God. That we all walk in it. And if we're not walking in it, it's our fault. We are leaving something out of our lives. We are not as intense about a concern as we should be. We have little regard for things we should have regard for. And I think God is saying, the kind of fast that I want is the fast that you press in with God. You hear things. You begin to get direction you never could get before. You're seeing things the way you've never seen it before. And you begin to bear down. You begin to take authority in areas that you can take authority. You just weren't sure of. Now you are. Your faith is growing. It jumps up. And bands are broken. The prisoners begin to get set free. You're a part of that. We're a part of that. It's laid on us to do that. That's going to work. You're going to get a whole bunch of that next year. So you might as well just pitch in and get this ready. If there's one thing our church here has probably left under the surface, it's the very thing I'm talking about. Life can't be all about me. It's not my name is Jimmy, give me. It's not about me, my knees, us four, no more, Acts 2, 4. It's not about that. It's about me being a part of a bigger whole and having a responsibility in Ephesians 4. I'm going to get into this and not even try. That each member vitally connected to another member supplies... In those joints, that which keeps the body together. Remember that? And what if a piece is broken? We shoot it. Just shoot it, throw it out in the street. If you were broken, would you want somebody to shoot you? No, well then put your gun up and fix. Get the glue out. Amen. Amen. All right, in, in closing, back to the 6th chapter where we started. Chapter 6, Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, and verse 16 again. Now we'll read the text. Moreover, Shelbyville Christian Assembly and any of you out there in the electronic world, he said, when you fast, don't be like hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. That's all they're going to get. But you, Shelbyville, when you fast, anoint your head. And I, I would like to say that also means if you're a man, comb your hair. It doesn't say, and you, spike your hair and let your hair grow so you look dirty. No, it says, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Mm. That thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now we have finished this thing for tonight. It's one of those quickies tonight. Amen? But let me introduce our next subject for the first of the year. And it has to do with Christ forbids covetousness. Two, two things in the, that finish out chapter 6 is covetousness and stress and worry, which are forbidden. 
God's people overcome these things. Notice he said, verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, for moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through to steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Selah. Think about that. All right, you fasting crowd. Are you all fasters? How many of you are willing to just think about it for a little bit? How many of you wouldn't think about it more than a little bit? I'm going to ask you how many of you never have fasted before. And I won't ask you to hold your hand up here. How many of you would, would be willing to spend a little bit of time before the Lord, at least five minutes, and ask Him to give you insight and light on this personal, give you, make you to be inspired by His Spirit to know what and how and when to do this. And you know, it would be good if you wanted to do that on a Wednesday with the idea, Lord, I want to come in here tuned into the right channel, tuned in so that my receiver is open to the heavenly channel, so that what's broadcast will come from heaven to my heart and make me keen and aware and sensitive to, the, to what you're saying. Would that be good? Good. Now you got your work cut out for you. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless those here tonight, those who listen to us. We ask you to bless us with revelation from your Holy Spirit. You said the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be given to us. And I pray that you would so that our personal lives can have meaning in the bigger picture, in the greater need that we as members of his body can have a role in affecting the well-being of the body. And I ask you, Lord, to teach us how to fast properly, effectually, for the good of your kingdom. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for blessing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good.